Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Jim Garrity's here. I'm here. This is not a normal day, though, on the Three Martini Lunch. And for the remainder of our podcast through 2019, we are turning now to our year-end awards. This comes at a time when we've had a political flurry right before the holidays. Doesn't always happen that way. This year it kind of did. But uh, nonetheless, we are pressing on with the great traditions of the Three Martini Lunch. So uh, over the next week, except for Christmas Day and New Year's Day, we're going to have a special podcast. We'll be back with our next normal podcast on January 2nd. And our lineup today is most overrated, most underrated, and most honest political figure, for 2019. So, Jim, without any further ado, let's kick it off. Who's your most overrated political figure for 2019? First of all, before we go any further, Greg, I want to let the uh, listeners in on a little bit of a a secret here. So, Greg and I, we have our categories. We separately come up with some nominees, and we always want to pick two just in case the other guy picks the same one. We don't want to list the same one twice. Um, but there are certain ones. So I had a whole bunch of, of nominees for this one, but I, I'm really pleased with this one. And I'd be shocked if this guy was not on your list. Beto O'Rourke, <laughs> not just the most overrated political figure of 2019. I may have selected him as the most overrated political figure of 2018. And I think you could argue that he is the most overrated political figure of the decade the sheer hype to accomplishment ratio is is just unbelievable. I hope that forever, whatever bitter or by the way, bitter or I hope bitter work goes off with his life and, and is, you know spends some time with his kids, doesn't go on another Kerouacian wandering through the West like you know David Banner journey. Um, that he actually you know lives a happy life. But having said that, he will forever be remembered for that Vanity Fair cover. I was born to do this. Um, jumping on the counters, all these other you know silly things. I was unimpressed with this guy from the first time I read about him in January 2018. He always seemed like media, you know, wish casting and and you know their desire to believe that he was some sort of lone star Jesus who could win a, a, a uh, win a race for the Democrats. Um, absolutely crashed and burned this time. I think everybody saw the Emperor has no clothes. That um, he was actually kind of there, there's you know, not only was he not this inspiring figure, I think he came across as this shallow and juvenile figure um, who hadn't really thought through his positions and uh, um, really had kind of coasted on a bit, bunch of charisma and, and all that. And basically be, being the blank slate that other people could project their desires onto. Goodbye, Beto O'Rourke. I will not miss you. And I think you are ranking as one of the most astonishing political figures in recent memory. No, I think that's uh, a very, very solid choice. And uh, I did not go back to see who we chose last year, but I'd be shocked if we didn't, given how last year's uh, campaign ended up going for Texas Senate. And, And Jim, there's a great silver lining here is that Beto pandered so much during the Democratic primary season that uh, even though the Democrats think they're more competitive now in Texas going forward, he went so far to the left on gun confiscation and so many other things. The odds of him ever being a viable statewide candidate, at least in the near future in Texas, seem very remote. Mm, I agree with that. So let's move on to one that might uh, end up being a little bit of a surprise for folks. My choice for most overrated political figure of 2019 is South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Mm. Uh, There is a uh, number of reasons why Pete Buttigieg is uh, considered to be doing well right now. He's 
uh, calm, first of all, which is uh, anytime you're looking for a change from a sitting president, you look for a personality difference. He's calm and measured. Trump's not generally all that calm and soft-spoken. And uh, Buttigieg is uh, very articulate. Uh, He's an intelligent guy. He was valedictorian, went to Harvard. Uh, Things that are not helping him with uh, certain demographics inside the Democratic Party, I've noticed. But uh, Pete Buttigieg is 37 years old, which makes him constitutionally eligible. But I'm not sure that uh, if you look at his background that he's uh, the best choice here. Uh, We just found out in the past couple of weeks that he got his first job in 2007. And, Jim, I know you and I are old now, but that doesn't seem very long ago. Uh, He's twice been elected mayor of South Bend. Um, but uh, his record at South Bend is something that the mainstream media seems curiously uninterested in. It flared up a little bit uh, when he was having trouble courting uh, African-American voters, and he still is. Uh, The main thing we know from his time in South Bend is that he fired the first-ever black police chief, and that certainly did not sit well. Um, And one of the issues that uh, we keep uh, hearing from Pete Buttigieg is that he's a moderate. He understands the folks in the middle of the country. He's not a knee-jerk liberal. But over the course of his presidential campaign, we know that he's open to packing the Supreme Court with more justices in order to offset the additions of Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh. That doesn't seem too moderate. It's a guy who wants to abolish the Electoral College because twice in this uh, past 20 years it hasn't worked out for the Democrats. Uh, He's considered a moderate because he likes the public option, even though that's just the slow roll to single payer. Uh, Then there was also this curious story from this year, which, of course, the media didn't want to talk about. And it was an abortionist named Ulrich Klopfer, who apparently lived in Illinois but worked in Indiana. He recently died. And then folks found more than 2,000 jars in his garage of aborted babies. You would think that this Gosnell-like story, since it had ties to Indiana, because the guy operated in South Bend, and, oh, by the way, Buttigieg stuck up for him at times when Indiana Republicans were trying to tighten restrictions around abortion clinics, making them live up to hospital standards and that sort of thing. Buttigieg stood up for Klopfer, was very silent as this played out, and ultimately said he really hopes this story doesn't end up being political. Well, guess what? The media dutifully did their job. And uh, ultimately, this story went away, whereas with any other person with any sort of tie to a political figure, it would have gotten a lot of attention. Uh, Ultimately, uh, Jim, I think we have to conclude that uh, Pete Buttigieg, uh, while appealing to uh, a certain percentage of the Democratic electorate, is fascinating to the media. And he gets a lot of attention because he's the first gay candidate for president of the United States. And uh, the media loves candidates that check identity boxes that they haven't before. And so that's a big part of it. And uh, there are other reasons, I'm sure. But when you look at a fairly thin resume, other than where he went to school and where he may have worked in the private sector briefly, uh, we do honor his military service. He did serve in Afghanistan, and that should not be forgotten. But this is a pretty thin resume for a guy who wants to be the chief executive of the United States. You know, Greg, that's a really, really good selection. I would put him on my uh, a strong contender for most overrated of 2020. <laughs> we'll see how he does. Like the guy, you know, as of this recording, he's looking pretty good in Iowa. Um, I want to give him a little bit of credit for having such a, a you know non traditional profile. Uh, you know, most people couldn't name the mayor of South Bend in any situation. Uh, they can name the head coach in South Bend, but that's about it. <laughs> and uh, that's, you know, so he, to give him credit, you know, all these other folks ran and, and really didn't make much of a splash and he's doing that. So I give him a little bit of credit for that. But that having been said, um, at some point, he's probably going to have a circumstance in which people are asking, where's the beef? 
And when even Cory Booker, the vegan, is asking where's the beef, then you know you have an issue there. <laughs> the Battle of the Road Scholars. Here we go. That'll be the, the first skirmish of uh, 2020. All right, Jim, let's move on to uh, a much more pleasant category, most underrated political figure of 2019. So uh, I'm going to stay in the Democratic uh, presidential primary. One of the joys of journalism, one of the joys of reporting is sometimes, you know, you learn things, you sometimes you, you, you get surprised, pleasantly surprised. Andrew Yang is my selection is the most underrated political figure of the year. And I am I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised by it. This doesn't mean I'm going to vote for him. In fact, I think it's very unlikely I'd vote for him. I don't know if all of his, in fact, I'm pretty sure a bunch of his ideas are bad. But that having been said, um, as many people have noted, when you watch him up on those debates, on those rare occasions when the uh, moderators call on him, he seems like the only guy who's not trying to feed you a line. Uh, he seems like a guy who's been thinking long and hard about issues like automation in the American economy, what it's going to mean for our workforce. Um, he seems like a regular, personable, amiable human being who isn't, you know, um, who doesn't come across as a whole bunch of canned uh, one-liners or canned uh, focus group, tested groups or something. I think one of my favorite, you know, moments of the year was when he talked right, talk about the, the leadership problems in this country and how we no longer trust our leaders and how they've, they've violated the faith of everyone who put their uh, faith in them and all that. And he used the metaphor of the New York Knicks. Greg, if America is in the state of the is in the same state as the New York Knicks, we are really, really in deep trouble. But uh, his whole conversation about that, you could tell he was a deeply frustrated New York Knicks fan, and the way the ownership and management had not been responsive to the fan base and ignored their complaints and made excuses for bad performances. Yeah, the metaphor did work for the federal government, for business leaders, and the media, and all many so many other institutions in American life. So. Um, Andrew Yang, you're you're a breath of fresh air in uh, this presidential primary cycle. Um, as of now, he is uh, he's he qualified for debates that a whole bunch of other better known uh, senators and governors could not qualify for. This is not a guy who anybody was looking for in this cycle, and he's done it the old fashioned way, bit by bit, grassroots supporter by grassroots supporter. Good for you, Andrew Yang. You're the most underrated political figure of 2019. He's my first choice as well. And I'll get to my runner-up in in just a moment. But I think Andrew Yang is uh, definitely the first one to come to mind in this category. And for a lot of the reasons you just stated, this isn't a guy who spent his whole life in politics. People who have uh, worked in government their whole lives don't know necessarily what it's like at, at, uh, at the kitchen table level. And a guy who had to come from basically nothing and build up uh, to become a very successful tech executive, uh, has a story to tell on that front as well. And as a result of that, he thinks differently about a lot of different issues than a lot of folks who spend their whole time in government. And that doesn't necessarily mean his ideas are better, but they're different and they're worth hearing. And like you, I'm not a fan of the universal basic income. He likes VAT taxes, for heaven's sake. I want nothing to do with VAT taxes. So, yes, it's unlikely that I would vote for him. But like you said, he seems like a normal person. And the fact that the media is uh, arrogantly dismissing him on the debate stage and the only time they really ever mention him is when they're showing polling results uh, just shows how entrenched the system is and that it's hard for a guy to break through. Yet he has when it comes to fundraising and getting at least enough support to get on the debate stage. I'll be curious to see what he can do once the voting actually starts. Uh, The backup for me is also from the Democratic field. If you had uh, said which six or seven or whatever candidates are left on the debate stage now would be left at the end of the year, 
Uh, there's a couple I would have predicted that would still be there that aren't even running anymore, much less qualifying for the debates like Kamala Harris and, and Beto O'Rourke. And then if you had asked me, well, who's going to be gone who's uh, from Capitol Hill? I would have said Amy Klobuchar probably won't last too long. But Amy Klobuchar is hanging in there. Uh, I don't know how well she's going to do. She's putting all her eggs uh, in Iowa. But after almost being run off the debate stage and being pretty close to the edge, she's done much better. She had a good debate. I think it was in November going after Elizabeth Warren being so vague about her math on Medicare for all. She's one of these public option people, which is still not a good idea. But Amy Klobuchar, while not necessarily the best person to work for, uh, we learned this uh, year (laughs) and uh, being pretty tough on her staff. Maybe throwing a few things in other people's general direction. Um, And again, I don't want her to be president, but uh, she's just plugged away, worked hard, uh, had a couple of good, solid debates here. And ultimately, Jim, we talked a couple of weeks ago about uh, if Joe Biden ends up uh, being a one-term guy, if he even gets that far, uh, what kind of vice president would he want? Somebody who's middle of the road, not going to hurt him and might help him actually in the campaign. Uh, a Midwesterner like Amy Klobuchar might be on his short list, uh, not because she's, uh, as you like to say, a whirling dervish of raw political charisma, <laughs> but because she doesn't embarrass herself and she's not going to be uh, a woke radical on a lot of things. She's going to be a dyed-in-the-wool liberal on everything, so you don't want her at the highest level of power. But uh, the way she's conducted this campaign has exceeded expectations. Greg, I concur. It's always a refreshing change of pace to hear a Democrat saying, we can't afford it. <laughs> yes. Um, outside of the context of defense. So, uh, yeah, perfectly good choice. She probably would have ended up my, uh, my other one there. My other, other throw, actually, my, my second runner-up, though, was um, Ukrainian President Zelensky. I think about <laughs> a year ago, this guy was a comedian. That's true. Not only is he now a leader of Ukraine, he's also the center of a, you know, a key figure in the impeachment of an American president. So, heck of a year, Zelensky. I can only imagine what 2020 has in, in store for you. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our final category. And Jim, I know folks are tired of hearing me saying this now, but uh, the category where the least number of politicians are eligible to win, the most honest political figure of 2019. So I, I begin with my runner-up because I don't think we overlap. And I think that uh, it's worth noting. Uh, my original guest was my, my original nominee was going to be the distraught U.S. Special Forces soldier who spoke to Fox News' Jennifer Griffin around the time the U.S. was withdrawing its forces from northern Syria and allowing the Turks to go in against the Kurds. Uh, he was absolutely distraught uh, as he watched the Turks attack the uh, Kurdish forces. And he said this is the first time in his life he'd been ashamed of his country. But I thought about it. And besides not knowing his name, we, he's not really a political figure. That is what the, it's in the title there. So uh, while I note that, I put a little you know, gold star among that of being a powerful moment in, in the year's news, uh, I, I did find a political figure. And I'm going to begin with a question, Greg. How often do you think Utah Senator Mitt Romney votes with the Trump administration's position? Uh, higher than most people on Twitter seem to think. I'm going to guess somewhere right? in the 90s, since most of it's judicial confirmations. Okay. It is 79.3%. Oh, okay. uh, So you're a little over, but you are correct. You're, you're interesting. For, for, to hear a conservative describe it, you know, uh, oh, he's this never-Trump sellout, and he's become a liberal. Uh, no. Now, look. I and a lot of other conservatives have this attitude of, you know, there are a bunch of Trump policies we like, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff the president does that we can't stand. The tweets, the rhetoric, the way he treats other people, the way he always, you know, blames his staff, all that kind of stuff. Now, you know, you look at the the voting record, Romney, I think you could say, calls them as he sees them. When he thinks the president is right and when he thinks the Trump administration is right, he votes in their position in support of them. When he thinks they're wrong, he calls them out. And call me crazy, I think that's what everyone should be doing right now. 
I don't think we, you know, make the country a better place if we end up being enablers to the president and say that everything he does is hunky dory and the call is perfect and all that stuff. But I also think that the, there's no. Um, I, I can't understand. Get my head around the people like Jen Rubens of the world, who or the the uh, Matthew Dowds or or Max Boots, who basically renounce everything they ever stood for and become you know knee jerk, resolute. Everything the president does is wrong. Uh, in a couple of these cases, you know, they they previously had called for things like moving the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem. Soon as Trump did it, it became a bad idea. <laughs> um, and I think is a uh, cynical and I think fundamentally unserious way of looking at the world. I think Mitt Romney. Uh, is the same guy he was a couple of years ago, same guy he was when he ran for president, same guy he re- was the first time he ran for president. I think he is consistent. I think he calls him as he sees him, whether people like it or not. And that, I think, makes him the most honest political figure of 2019. That is a fascinating choice, and I can't wait for the listener feedback on that one. Yeah, I love that one. <laughs> But uh, but, you know, you do want political figures, uh, especially your legislators, to call it like you see it. Uh, as John Roberts said back in his confirmation hearings, not that he's our favorite Supreme Court justice either, but uh, call the balls and strikes. I think you're doing a good job here. I think you're doing a bad job here. And uh, let the chips fall where they may. Just because you share the same party label does not mean that you have to defend everything everyone else in your party does. And it happens on both sides of the aisle. And it's very annoying, especially for uh, those of us who don't have that instinct. We also don't have the pressure uh, to do that since we're not elected officials. It's one of the beauties of being a podcaster. So, uh, Jim, I want to stress heavily as I give you my choice here that this is not a Lifetime Achievement Award in the honesty category, uh, at least this year, uh, because the person I'm about to choose has had a very ugly chapter in not telling the truth in their past. Former South Carolina Governor Mark Sanford, he of the Appalachian Trail fame, uh, that was his lame excuse for jetting off secretly to Argentina to be with his mistress, cost him his marriage, and cost him a lot of uh, future political ambitions, most likely. Uh, But Mark Sanford, in case you missed it, ran for president this year. He's not running anymore. He's already dropped out. He decided once impeachment was uh, uh, dominating the headlines that he couldn't get any oxygen for his message which was the fact that we've got to do something about our overspending and our massive deficits and debt. We are at trillion-dollar deficits now, even in a good economic time, which is even more frightening, perhaps, than uh, trillion-dollar deficits when we're trying to figure out our way out of a financial crisis. We've got a $23 trillion debt. We've got unfunded liabilities way north of $100 trillion now. And for decades, at least since the the mid-90s Republicans uh, finally figured out a way to work with President Clinton to get the the annual deficits down, and they came one vote short of a balanced budget amendment, basically since the early 2000s, neither party has had any interest in actually uh, showing any sort of fiscal restraint. First, you had uh, the Bush-Cheney administration. They were dealing with 9-11 and uh, wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so that was their reason for jacking up spending, not only there, but in many domestic areas as well. Obama came in, doubled the debt on top of what George W. Bush did. And uh, President Trump, who promised to uh, do quite a bit to reduce the debt, has done virtually nothing. In fact, he signed every bill that's come his way, uh, these omnibuses and continuing resolutions and so forth. And so at this point, the debt keeps piling up. We've got insolvency for Medicare coming, I think, in 2025, which, by the way, is about five years from now, and Social Security not too long after that. Uh, Everybody just keeps spending. Nobody's willing to do what's necessary to deal with it. Uh, He's pushing ideas like the penny plan, so slicing a penny off of each dollar. Uh, That's been thrown out there before, but nobody's actually acted on it. 
Uh, and it's a complicated issue with entitlement spending gobbling up more and more of uh, of the amount of taxpayer dollars we're spending here. It gets to be a bigger and bigger problem to solve. But you can't solve it if you don't even admit that the problem exists. And Mark Sanford launched an entire presidential campaign to call attention to this. Nobody paid any attention to it, but he called attention to it. And my guess is, based on where we are with the Democrats wanting everything to be free and President Trump not having any worries about spending, that we're going to just keep going down this same problem. But uh, Mark Sanford at least tried briefly. You know, that is a very intriguing selection, Greg. (laughs) I'm just going to say Mark Sanford appears on my list. I'll let you decide which category. (laughs) (laughs) A guessing game for the next couple of days. Mark Sanford will appear. The question is where? Oh, hmm, that's a good question. All right. Well, Jim, we uh, have whet the appetite of our listeners, uh, we hope. Uh, We will be back tomorrow with uh, round two, uh, where we'll talk about the political figure we're most sorry to see go. We'll also be talking about rising political stars and political figures fading into oblivion. So get your list ready. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. So glad you were with us. Let us know your choices in these categories as well. Uh, Thanks for being with us. Subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Leave us great reviews over at iTunes. And tune in again on Tuesday, Christmas Eve, for the next Three Martini Lunch.